Good morning. How's everybody? We got one great and everybody else is fine. Well, that's kind of odd because the one that said it was great is having their 31st anniversary today. So, happy anniversary again. Good to see y'all. Glad everybody's here and celebrating and studying God's Word, fellowshipping one with another. I'm glad to be here. If you have your Bibles, if you'll open to 1 John chapter 4, our title this morning is The Spirit of Truth. Father, we ask that you'll speak to us. We ask that you would open our hearts this morning, and Lord, we just want to be closer to you. We need to be closer to you. It's, uh, this world that we're living in is so upside down and backwards, Lord. If we're not with you, we're, we're lost, and we don't want to be lost, and we praise you. Lord, we praise you that you bring us into this relationship. You sustain the relationship. It's all on your shoulders because you do all the work. May we, may we just remain walking in faith, remain trusting you, remain searching for you, diligent in our search, Lord, through your word and in the spirit. We pray that you will speak to us and guide us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we saw last week that there's no gray area regarding our relationship with Christ. We've covered this before, and it continues in the message today. In today's culture, the church has tried to somewhat blend, I guess maybe blend in, in the culture. And that's not our place. And the church is not supposed to blend in. It's supposed to stand out. And to blend in means that we've given up something to be more like them rather than they giving up something to be more like the church. So when we're in this place today, we're supposed to be standing out. And unfortunately, a lot of times the church is just kind of settling in and blending so we don't make waves, so we don't cause problems, and we don't want the government to come after us. We don't want this to come after us. We don't want the people. We don't want riots in front of our front door. That's fear if I'm, if, if, if I'm hearing that. And that's not where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be standing strong in the Word. Now, the key thing that we looked at last week was the absolute that loving our brother is not a suggestion, but it's rather the one thing that distinguishes us from the world, that we're able to love one another. Through the love of Christ, we're able to love one another. And that is how we know who our brothers and sisters are, and that's how the world knows that we're separated as well. We have love one for another. We talked about Jesus being the true shepherd. He speaks to his sheep, and they know his voice, and they hear him. The Spirit of God who dwells in us confirms his voice through this word and draws us close to him. Now, ultimately, ultimately, it is what it is, and it is what it is, and he who says is, is, there's, no, there's no denying. Once his truth has been spoken, there'll be no excuse. No one will be able to say, I didn't understand it. When you stand before God, you will know that you denied his truth. Or you will know that you're in his presence. And what a wonderful thing for those who are true believers to know that we will be say, he will say to us, Come in, my good and faithful servants. Welcome. You've been faithful. And ultimately, we know that Jesus is coming back. And we're going to meet him face to face. You're either a sheep or you're the world's goat. I'd rather be a sheep than a goat. 
We talked about that yesterday between sheep and goats. I didn't realize it, but goats have square eyes. We, you know, actually, they Googled that yesterday. Nobody else really, somebody mentioned it, and we all did it up and confirmed it. But sheep don't have square eyes. So what we determined was is that sheep or that goat have square eyes so their peripheral vision is better. They can kind of figure out what's going on around them. They're kind of in control of their own environment where sheep follow the shepherd. They don't have to worry so much about the peripheral vision. So anyway, we, we can spiritualize anything if you think hard enough. But anyway, it was kind of fun to talk about those kind of things. Matthew twenty five thirty one through 34 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he, he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but on the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come you, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now this week we're going to continue to see the contrast between those that are Jesus or in Jesus and those that are not. And John continues his theme of loving one another. So let's begin 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits where they, have got, where they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is now already in the world. Now we've covered again this point before in recent teachings regarding false prophets. They're going out in the spirit of the Antichrist. And Satan has been against God's people from the beginning, spreading lies and deception. If he can't keep you from Christ, he tries to keep you confused. He tries to keep you unlearned concerning the full counsel of God's word and who you are in Christ. Legalism, half-truths, and pride are all divisive. And they're all tools that Satan uses. And he's relentless on keeping people stirred up against one another. Romans 16 17 through 19 reads, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience become, has become known to all. Therefore I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good, and simple concerning evil. And First Timothy 4, 1 through 2 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Do we not see that happening today? It's happening around us as we as we speak in in other churches that are not speaking uh, speaking truth, uh, cults that are out there trying to pull people away. There's all kinds of deception out there, and that's that is the key thing that Satan uses is lies and deception. He also uses fear, which we'll get to in another message. I don't think we'll get to that one today. But we, uh, as believers, we have to be alert. 
we have to be prepared when the deceivers come, and they will come, as they've already come since the conception of the church. And Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 1, 9 through 10, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there, is there anything of which it may be said this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. And this is, the, this is a key fact of why we can say that history repeats itself. And we can also say that man has a short memory. Without Jesus, without his spirit keeping us on track, we can lose the fact of what happened last year, five years ago, ten years ago, a hundred years ago, that it was already done and it didn't work. And people are trying it again today. I mean, look at socialism and communism. It's been tried. It's been done. It's failed miserably regarding the people. But yet, they're stirring it up again. And what's the attitude? Why are they doing it? Well, they didn't do it right, so we, we can do it better. We know what we're doing now. They're, you, they're buying into the same lie that everybody else has bought into, and they're bringing it to the table as though it's something new. Oh, no, this is good. This is a good thing. We can help the people if we control the people. And that's the mindset that government has when it begins to, to get out of control and wants to remain or control in power. And so this is what's going on in the world. It's not just around the world. It's here in the United States. It's in every country today. And what's happening is, is everything is boiling right now. It's not just simmering anymore. Now we're on a boil. And as it begins to boil, the deception that Satan is feeding all of these governments is going to boil over into a, an explosive or implosive, whichever way you want to look at it, place to where it's going to wind up being, oh, now the whole world's got to be, and we, we've got to have one world government. That world health order is already trying to dictate now, and many countries have signed on how they're going to handle pandemics in the future, all through one organization worldwide. All of these things are happening around us which the Bible says is going to happen. Now, we can look at this. Satan wants to keep us in fear. But we can look at this and say, okay, man is evil, is evil, and his intent of his heart is evil. He deceives himself. Without Jesus, he's going to do bad things. So, therefore, it's coming together. We can either look at this and say, oh, no, we've got to stop this. We've got to stop this. Or we can say, your will be done let us be a part of whatever your will is. If you want us to push back and you have a plan, let's push back. And I'm not saying roll over and just let things happen. What I'm saying is, is be wise and understanding that it may be God's plan for this country to go under. In order to achieve the next step of whatever his plan is. Now, if that's the case, are you going to be in Christ and in confidence that he's in control no matter what we see? Or are we going to be in fear that, oh, it's all over now. Well, if it's all over, hallelujah, because we get to go see Jesus. So there's no fear for those who are in Christ. And again, that's a whole other message. I keep touching on it, but we're not going to get there today. Satan doesn't have a new playbook. He doesn't. It's the same playbook he's had from the beginning. His message hasn't changed. His talent isn't presenting a new idea. He's not talented in that. He's very limited. If you think of the power that he has, he's very limited in nature. He's a liar. 
That's his talent. And he simply takes the same lie, puts it in a shiny new wrapper that looks good, feels good, maybe tastes good, but on the inside it's rotten to its core. And this is the lie that he has presented, that you can be in control of your own life, you don't need Jesus. That everything's okay on your own, you're in control. Be your own person, do your own thing. It doesn't matter what definitions used to be. This is what you feel today. You can be whatever you want to be today. All of these are, are the lies that Satan has put in. And it's not just a lie that's been fed to a group of people. It's now been bought into by the media. It's been bought into by our government leaders. And so all of these lies are pulling people away from Jesus and focusing on themselves. Just like Facebook, Twitter, Google, Internet. All of that does the same thing. It's inward focus, look at me, look at me, look at me. That's the lie that is being presented today. So this is going on inside the church. It's going on outside the church. It's going on across the board all over the world. So what do we, what do, we do? Well, John says we test the spirits. Let's test the spirits. Now I told the men yesterday we're not going to have an open bar up here for you to test the spirits. That's not the spirits it's talking about. Not going to happen. So we have to look at the word that he says to test the spirits. And he says, if you confess that Jesus has come in the flesh, then that's listening to the right spirit. If you, don't, if you confess that he's not, then you're not a believer. So let's, we have to break this down. What does the word confess mean? To confess something, what does that mean? The Greek word used for confess, and I'm going to mess this one up, but homologio, or homologio. That means assent, a covenant, a covenant knowledge or acknowledgement to profess something, something that you know. There is an affirmation in that. There is a covenant relationship in that. And it's the same word that is used in Romans 10.9 when it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. The word confess there is saying that if a spirit confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh, it's not just stating a factual truth. It's not just saying Jesus came in the flesh. You have to dig deeper than that because a demon can say that. A demon can acknowledge that Jesus has come. Demons acknowledge it while he was here. One can know something to be true, but if they're not in covenant with that truth, then that means that they're just stating something that they can try to convince you that they believe, but they don't believe at all. James 2.19 says, You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even demons believe and tremble. So see, here's, here's the thing that we have to really understand. To confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is to acknowledge and in an agreement with his coming, his purpose for coming, what he did in his coming, what he accomplished in his coming, and all the aspects of the spiritual nature of who we are in Christ because he came. That's an agreement with him. That is a covenant with him And when we say that he's come in the flesh. It's not just saying because, I mean, I believe that the, the, uh, the Muslim faith, the Islamic faith, they say that Jesus came. He was a fleshly person. They deny his deity. 
they deny anything about him being the son of God. He was a good prophet and a good man. But they said Jesus came in the flesh. Okay, so where do we find the difference there? We have to understand that there is more than just a statement of fact when John is talking about this. In Luke eight twenty-seven through 33, And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him with a loud voice, said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had, uh, had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. He broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? He said, Legion, because many demons have entered him. And they begged him, the demons, begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain, so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. The demons acknowledged who Jesus was. They even bowed down to him, but they did not believe in him. They had turned away from God. They had turned away from him. They followed Satan when they fell from heaven. Their, their doom was sealed. But that doesn't mean that they didn't recognize who Jesus is. So there's a difference when claiming, when claiming that Jesus has come in the flesh and submitting to him and serving him. It's, it's, it, these examples show us that simply acknowledging that Jesus came isn't what John is teaching us here. A spirit sent by the Antichrist, cannot be in covenant relationship with Jesus. You can't. And because of that, we have to understand what this, this word is teaching us. So testing the Spirit means going deeper into what the Spirit is speaking. And again, Satan is a deceiver. So he only speaks certain things to confuse, to deceive, trick people, into going down the wrong path. So he can say enough scripture and enough truth to then pull the people in and then take them down a non-truth road. That's what he did with Eve. All the way back to Eve in the garden. He said, oh, surely God did not say. He didn't really mean that. What he really meant was, is once you take of this fruit, you're going to be just like him. You're going to be like a God, knowing things. And so she said, hmm, well, it looks good. I, I do want to be smart. Why not? Oh, and it tastes good, too. These are the things that Satan is doing today. His playbook is no different. So when, it, when, when, when we're teaching the word of God, and we have the spirit of God that confirms his word, then we know that we're hearing the truth in the true spirit because it does confirm his word. And it confirms him in us. The spirit lives in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we have all that we need to stay on track. But I've heard some say, well, I don't need the Bible anymore. We have the spirit now. We don't need the word. Well, again, you're not testing the spirit. You have nothing to test it against. If you're not testing the, what you're hearing against the word of God and making sure they're in alignment with one another, then you have nothing really to know where truth is being spoken or not. You're just believing whatever's being 
blah, 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 blah out there, you know? And so, and this is the problem. And many people feel an enlightenment when they feel a spiritual connection. There's an enlightenment when people say, oh, I was enlightened. I, I met a medium. I was enlightened today. No, you were darkened today. There's no light in that. There's no light there. But is the spirit realm real? Yeah, it's real. And here's another thing. There are some in church today that don't believe in the demonic activity. They don't believe necessarily in hell even. They don't really believe in Satan, that, or believe in, not believe in him, but believe of him. They don't really think that he exists today. That everybody, if they keep doing well or keep going, they'll eventually work their way into a better place themselves. <clears throat> they don't acknowledge that they have a sinful nature. They don't acknowledge that Jesus came to deliver them from that sinful nature. And they don't believe that any spiritual aspect going on around them is of any real substance until Satan pulls them into a place where they hear something that's a lie and that just it just goes off. Oh, wow. Oh, I'm enlightened. I mean, how many people and prophets have been enlightened? To be enlightened means you have to be in a place of darkness to be able to receive light. And if it's not the true light then you're in a place where you can go right back to another darkness. And basically, you're transferring darkness to darkness to darkness, thinking that you're getting light, but there's no truth there. There's no substance there. And Satan doesn't care which lie you believe. He doesn't care which path you take, as long as it's not the path that Jesus wants you to take. He doesn't care which, which path it is. Again, he's a deceiver, and he will continue to deceive. That's his role. So we have to really understand that to test the spirits means you've got to ask a few more questions. And you have to have a foundation of which you're comparing the answers to. That's the Word of God. The full counsel of God's Word. It doesn't mean you go take a little passage over here <coughs> that sounds good and apply it to the Word that you want to teach. And that's what a lot of preachers are doing today as well. I have no problem with problem with uh, with topical teaching. I think topical teaching is really good. It's it's not really easy to do, because in topical teaching you have to really make sure that your topic doesn't outweigh what the Word of God says about it, and so therefore you can't manipulate it. You can't go and manipulate the Word to say what you want it to say and to do what you want it to do because it because this is the topic you want to talk about, and that's again a problem in the church today is that when you start talking about marriage and you start talking about kids and you start talking about racial issues and cultural issues and you start talking about all these things, if you've got an idea of how to solve that problem, you've already got your topic in mind and you've just got to hunt a scripture to see if you can find something to support it, how you want to present it. And we've seen it in the churches before. We saw it in one time. Uh, there was one church we went to. Um, they wrote a book. The pastor wrote a book on racial reconciliation. That sounds great. First chapter of the book was how we have to go and apologize to everybody for all of our ancestors because this is, this is the only way to fix this problem. I didn't remember seeing much scripture in the book, but that's, that was the topic. That's how he approached it. And then there's other situations where, where the, the same pastor, you know, if you want your marriage to work and you're having a problem, here's how you deal with it. It was all practical, all laid out. Everything was systematic. Okay, if you don't like what's going on with your wife, or if you don't like what's going on with your husband, do these things, and then they'll come around. 
this is, that, was, that was the foundation of their counsel. I will tell you without any blink of an eye that 90% of the leaders in that church were divorced before we left or after we left because that was the counsel they were giving or they were given, then they were giving that counsel to others, and they're, they're all divorced. They're all separated. They're all gone from one another because they tried it. It didn't work. It's manipulation. You cannot manipulate people to be what you want them to be. Now, what should be preached is, okay, you're having a problem with your spouse? Put them on the shelf and go look in the mirror. That's the starting point, not... Do these things so your wife or your husband will change. Don't expect to change from them. Ask God to change you. Now, oh, oh, wait a minute now. That's not good. That's not, that's not what I want. I want to remain my, the way I am, and I want them to conform to me. Me, 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 me. All the same. Same lie. Same manipulation. So we have to come and we say, okay, well, uh, if we're going to do a topical message, well, let's, let's just see what is the topic and what does the word say about it. Let's look up the word first before you conclude how you want to present the message. And then it will support itself. But if it's opposite of that, you can find a blurb of Scripture somewhere out of context to support what you're trying to say. And, it will, and, and people do it all the time. And that's how cults are formed. That's how cults are built. They're built upon a foundation of one simple, maybe half-truth, and then from there it's all about them. It's all about the leadership. And when you question the leadership, you're told to shut up. You're not allowed to do that. No, you can't question us. We're, we're anointed. We're called by God to be your leader. So therefore, we are God in basically in your presence. So therefore, just sit there and do what we tell you. That's all you need to know. And I know people have come out of that, and it's been a hard road to trust again because trust is built upon truth. And if you have no truth, then trust is broken. It's hard to rebuild that trust. The fact here is the Spirit of God will never go against God's Word. The Spirit of God always glorifies Jesus, always glorifies the Father. The Spirit of God not only speaks factual truth, He is in covenant with the Father and the Son. Blessed three and one. John speaks of that a little further on in, in, uh, in his messages too. The Spirit of the Antichrist can state a factual truth that Jesus did come, but cannot be in agreement with that truth, cannot abide in that truth, and will not glorify Jesus and will not glorify the Father. So this is what it means to test the spirits. Take it down a notch. Take it down dig a little deeper. Dig a little deeper. Is it a statement made? Or is it a covenant with that statement and understanding that that statement aligns with God's word? And if those are no, then that's the wrong spirit. And you turn and you flee from that spirit. Because it's a non-truth. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Therefore I'm to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Lord, not just Savior. And again, 
there's a big difference between those two. And I know that in our culture today, being saved is the terminology. I was saved when I was such and such. I accepted Jesus and I was saved when I prayed this prayer. And I'm not saying that you're not. Don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is, is that at that point, there was a covenant made if it's a true relationship and there should be growth beyond that point. It, not sh it should not be a historical event. And while we, do, we can remember the dates and be glad and glorify God on the date and the times, I don't have that, that, that experience. I can tell you what happened, when it happened, and how it happened. I don't remember the date. I was too messed up to look at the calendar. But many do, and that's wonderful. If you have that memory and the time and the date, that's awesome. But again, it's not about the time and the date. It's about the relationship that began. And when the relationships begin with Jesus, there is growth. And the Spirit of God is in you, alive in you, and wants to register with you moment by moment, day by day, alignment with God's Word, taking you from who you were to who He wants you to be. It's a growing process. It's continued. And it's all through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is all through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we come and we understand that, that, that there are many spirits out there and that there are many spirits that will say just enough to try to get your attention, we have to question it. Test it out. Does it align with God's Word? If it does not align with God's Word, then we have to shut it down. And verses 4 through 6. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because He is he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore they speak as of the world. And the world hears. The world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. See, God gives us discernment by his spirit and by his word. It's available to us. We have discernment. We have the ability to say, I see this, and it aligns with God's word, or I see this, and it doesn't. That's discernment. There's wisdom and discernment in that. And so as we come into the relationship with Jesus, we come into the relationship with the Spirit, and he gives us the ability to discern truth from a lie, truth from an error. And the world speaks its own language. It speaks its own way of doing things. And the Spirit of God speaks God's language. I'm not talking about a prayer language. It can be. But I'm talking about the ability to hear things from God that you couldn't hear before. To understand the things of God that you couldn't understand before. See, we hear and understand the Spirit. But the world can't understand the Spirit of God. It's confusion. It's, it's, it's craziness to them. They don't grab it. They, don't, they can't consciously understand it. The world can't understand nor hear the things of God because it's foolishness. In 1 Corinthians 1, 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The message of the cross is the power of God. This tells us that the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ is all we need to build our foundation upon. 
from that point forward, the Spirit of God brings the Word of God alive. We become from babes to now mature. We are now growing up in our understanding. We never lose or move away from the foundation of our truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we're beginning to understand now how that applies to us and how the Word of God dwells within us when, he, we, when we meditate upon it, the Spirit brings in remembrance to us. And we, we saw that and in in, in see that in the book of Acts, how the, the Holy Spirit brings to people the remembrance of the words that they need when they need them. And Jesus even told his disciples, hey, don't worry about what you're going to say when you're hauled into court. The Spirit himself will give you the words that you need to speak. He will give you the words you need to speak when it's time to witness. He will give you the words to speak when it's time to grow, when it's time to move, when it's time to sit still, when it's time to co confront, when it's time to just pray in some cases. He may say, okay, I've given you this knowledge. Now you sit on it and pray. See, there's another area that we have to be cautious in in our relationships. Just because God reveals a truth to you, you have to really pray through to make sure he wants you to take that truth to the individual. Because he may be needing prayer warriors instead of people with a Bible thumper mentality to go out there and beat somebody up with something. So spending time in prayer before you speak is wisdom and discernment. And sometimes he said, I'm giving you this word, now go. What are you sitting on? What are you waiting on? Go. Speak the word I've given you to speak. Let the cards fall where they fall and do not worry about the fruit. The Spirit of God can clean up your own mess when you, if your heart is right. And believe me, we still get it wrong. We still mess up and, and maybe say something inappropriately or say things wrong. But the truth is, is if our heart is to be where God wants us to be, He allows those things to happen for our growth. But at the same time, He doesn't allow it to, to mess up what He's trying to do over here. We're just vessels. And sometimes the vessel can get in the way of the message. So we have to be careful that we, we are walking in this discernment. But we have this, we have this discernment. And we have the great one in us. Greater is he than it is, that is in us than he that is in the world. We can speak truth and it overrides everything in the world. Now whether they receive it or not is not our problem. Now, again, we're not to be callous. And say, I don't care whether you believe it or not. Jesus loves you and you're going to hell if you don't accept it. And there are many think that that's the way to approach the gospel. That's, that's not what we're saying here. What we're saying is Jesus loves you enough to show you truth. His word tells truth. Your, your life is showing it goes against God's truth. Here's what the Bible says. I love you enough to tell you about it. I can't change you. Not trying to. I just want you to connect. And if the Holy Spirit brings you a place of understanding, this is truth. If they receive it, Hallelujah, the angels will rejoice. But if they don't, it's not your place to try to convince them. It'll come back around if the time's right, and it may not be through you. Seeds planted, somebody else may come along and water it. It's not our place to decide what fruit is going to come, when it's going to come, how it's going to come. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So, we need to make sure, test the spirits to know which language we're speaking, or who's speaking to us, and if we're understanding it, and follow it along by the Word of God. And this is why the church needs to be strong. 
We need to be bold concerning the word of God. The spirit of the Antichrist has crept in, denying full counsel of God's word, causing pastors and teachers to water down the gospel. It's causing them to get the crowds in the door and then try to save them. But unfortunately, what happens is instead of leading them to Christ, it becomes all about trying to keep them happy. See, if you have, and this is something, that's, it's a very clear point. I mean, I, I see it very clearly. If you have a room full of people that you've just tried to fill the seats with, so you can say, look at what a big church we have and what a wonderful ministry we have because we have all these people coming. If you then begin to start teaching them the solid principles of God's word, and I'm not saying don't do that. If this is the type of church you've got, you should be doing this. But I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to drive half of them away because you brought them in under false pretenses to begin with. You don't bring people in under false pretenses and then bait and switch them to where, okay, now here's what the Bible says, blah, blah, blah. But the problem is even if people were trying to do that, it wouldn't work. And so they don't try to do that. They put the premise in, we'll get the people in, then we'll save them. But then they water down the gospel so they don't offend them. Then it's all about, well, how can I keep these happy? How can I keep them from leaving? How's this going to happen? Oh, no, we got rent to pay. The light show, the smoke, all this stuff's got to be taken care of. We've got to go hire new band leaders and, and worship leaders. Well, do they know Jesus? I don't care. They're good musicians. And this is not the mentality that any pastor or leader of a church should ever have. It should always be the safe haven for believers. That's the church. That's the principal reason we gather is not to water down the gospel for people who don't know Jesus, to present the gospel, to keep people strong in the word, growing in their faith, and then you go out beyond the walls and minister where God sends you. And if other people are receiving the word, hallelujah. If they come here, hallelujah. I'll tell you this. I, I know at least several. I don't know how many are off the top of my head, but I know one that just jumped into my head that I witnessed to. He was not really walking. He actually came to the church one Sunday when we were at the Little Red School building. Good friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. He came, never came back. I talked to him several times about the Lord. And then somewhere along the line later on, I found out he wound up going to another church. He received Jesus. He got baptized. And he's going to, he moved there now. They, they have the camping lifestyle, so they're moved down to Florida right now. But the point I'm making is, is that God used someone else to bring him to the next level, brought him into a closer relationship, brought him into a place of receiving Jesus in baptism, and now he's one of, of, of ours. He's one of, of the, who belongs to Jesus, but he's not in our church. Hallelujah. It's not about bringing people to fill your building. It's about bringing Jesus to the heart of the world and let them receive him and let them go where he sends them. That's the purpose of the church. So I've always had a, a problem, and, 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 and I mean, I've really battled this for years. Lord, this is not working. These churches are not working. People aren't growing. The numbers are, but the people aren't growing. We're getting the same word every week. I felt like I had to go get resaved every week when I was a kid. Because there was no discipleship. There was no understanding or breaking down of what it meant in relationship. It's, oh, you prayed, you're good. Well, how come I don't feel any different? How come I'm still battling the same battle in the same way? And the flesh is still as strong as it's always been. How come there's no, there's no freedoms? 
And so we have to come into this place and say, okay, it's beyond the simplicity is there. It should stay there. But it's beyond just coming to a prayer. It is now relationship. And relationships are hard. Relationships are hard. But we need to be bold. We need to be strong. The Spirit of God does not waver in truth. And the church should be walking in unison and obedience to the Spirit of God. Romans 8.14 says, For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And this is the wake-up call for the church today. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. Greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. We need to quit trying the world's methods in the church. We need to quit trying programs that we create in the church. Submit to the Spirit. Do what He calls us to do. How simple is that? How simple is that? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, this passage doesn't say, Go, fill the seats of the church with people. It doesn't say, Go and big, big, build big buildings. It doesn't say, get them in the door and save them. It says, go and make disciples. Go. He sent the disciples outside. Now, he didn't have a building. But had he had a small little building that they met in over and over, he sent them out from it. He sent them away to do the ministry where the people are, not bring the people into the church building, again, under false pretenses, and then try to change them. That doesn't work. It never will work. It's never worked. And again, this is what we talked about earlier. History repeats itself. The church has been doing this off and on for years. And it will reinvent another way and it will be a brand new thing. Oh, look at what's happening over there on the other side of town. And people are flocking and flocking and flocking to it. If the Spirit is doing something, everybody flock to it. But I can tell you, and this again, this is part of of what I deal with, and I have to deal with it and, and battle it with discernment every single day. Because my first reaction, if there's a big group doing something, I'm going to hold back and I'm going to watch it a while. I'm not joining the bandwagon because everybody else does. If the bandwagon is the Holy Spirit, it will bear fruit, it will bear out, and then, hey, hallelujah, let's all be a part of what's going on. But unfortunately, many times, it's not the Holy Spirit at all. It's a generated movement that's created excitement, like a football game. And the next thing you know, everybody's screaming, yelling, happy, and jumping up and down. They're excited. And but that doesn't mean that the Spirit of God is there. I mean, I know people, I mean, you can listen to some of the ball games. I don't listen to much. Occasionally, I'll listen to the Braves on, on the radio just because there's absolutely nothing else to listen to. Hear that crowd in the background screaming, ah, 
and, and they're at the third out. They need one run. They got three guys on base, and all this guy's got one strike, one hit. And he strikes out. Can't sustain them. Can't be excited if somebody strikes out. But here's the good news. In Christ, we can all the time. Not because of what we see with our eyes, but because of what we know in our hearts. Not because of what's being spoken out here, but because of what's been spoken in the Word of God. We have something to be excited about. Why are we hiding on it? Why are we sitting on it? Why are we denying the power of God and His Word to people just to try to keep them happy when you never can? People are fickle. They will change their mind on you in one flat second because they didn't like one thing you said or they didn't like one thing they heard or they didn't like the music or they didn't like this. Or didn't. They come with their grocery list. If you come with a grocery list to church, I'm just going to tell you here, why don't you leave it on the doorstep? Because we're not going to meet your grocery list. That's not what we're here to do. What we're here to do is we're here to preach the Word of God. Let the Holy Spirit lead us. And if your heart is open, He will bring you into the relationship He wants you to be. And you grow to be who God wants you to be. And it doesn't matter about the music. It doesn't matter about this little ball short preacher that's preaching. It doesn't matter about any of those things. It's about God doing a work and we being a vessel. That's it. That's all there is to it. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. In 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture, not just the parts that you like, not just the parts that have the positive message to it as far as your benefit and prosperity, but all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for all doctrine, or for doctrine. Don't say all doctrine, but we know what doctrine it's referring to. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. This is the purpose of the Word of God. Why deny any of it? Why just keep it quiet? I, I don't get it. If you're a believer, particularly a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you should be diving in and and uncovering every little tidbit and nibbit we can get from the Word of God to be sharing with the people. Because that's what we're supposed to do. All Scripture's given. It's inspired by God. It's profitable. Reproof, correction, instruction. We all need it daily because our flesh is still active and pushing against the, the Spirit of God. We have that tent that we live in. And while the fleshly part of us still is in that tent, now we have the Holy Spirit in there. And so the Holy Spirit is trying to push out the flesh, and the flesh is trying to push out the Spirit, and the battle continues, as Paul said. But I thought about this analogy yesterday, and if I really thought it through it, I'd brought a couple of pitchers of, 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 of Kool-Aid. Then you really drink the Kool-Aid. No, I'm just kidding. But you have, you know, think about this. You have a half a cup of clear water, and then, or, and then you got a half a cup of, of red Kool-Aid. You take that red Kool-Aid that is, that is full red, full juice, and you pour it into that cup that has water. What's it going to do? It's going to dilute it. It's going to be watered down. It's going to be cloudy, but it's going to be not good Kool-Aid. See, the spirit, being the full, can't compromise, or it compromises when it goes into the, the place that's not empty. 
So what the Spirit wants to do is say, listen, you got all this stuff in here you need to get rid of. So when I pour in, I'm pouring into an empty vessel, not into a half-full vessel of yourself. So you're not diluting what I want to do. You're not getting in the way of it. You're not grieving the Spirit. So that's why God is constantly working on each one of us to become empty of ourselves. That's why it's a, that's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing work. It's an ongoing walk. There is no finality until we meet Jesus face to face. Now, I know some may say, oh, you can be fully uh, this or that and the other. You may have moments where the Holy Spirit's in complete control, but I'm telling you, your flesh is still going to fight back at some point. And so we need to constantly die to it, constantly put ourselves in a place where we are not trying to be in the way of the Holy Spirit. There's a parable that comes to mind. Now, after all this I've told you this morning, I've told you not to take Scripture out of context. But I'm going to give you this parable for what it means, and then I'm going to give you a way you can actually apply it on the spiritual side of it. Luke 12, 16 through 21. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? since I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you had many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So it is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, again, I'm being very cautious here. In context, this parable is speaking of covetousness of life, the things that you build up, things you want to hold on to and make more room for. That's what this parable is speaking of. But think about it from this perspective. The church isn't supposed to grow people for the sake of filling a large building. The church is not supposed to go out and just grab people and say, look, our building is full. We need to build a builder building so we can have room for more people. The crowd is like possessions to them. It's like, look what we've built. Look at what we have. And they want more and more. They're not satisfied to be who they are or maybe... Be smaller if that's what God calls them to. The purpose is to gain and build people. And when the people come and they get it all full, look what we've got. Oh, wait, we need to build bigger buildings. We need to be builder, bigger churches. What happens here is the barn gets full, but the crops aren't mature. And in some cases, the crops are rotten. Not only that, but when a pastor leaves or even dies, who's going to deal with the fallout? Because the next guy that comes in has got to come in and deal with a whole lot of immature, weak Christians because they were never taught. They were never raised up. The truth is, the church or the people, which are the same in Christ, they belong to God. They don't belong to a pastor. They don't belong to a congregation or a group, even though we meet as a group and we call ourselves Calvary Chapel and we don't have membership here as far as signed cards and everything. If you want a card, I'll give you one. 
but it won't mean nothing because your relationship with Jesus Christ that means you're my brother and you're my sister don't need a card to prove that need a heart a humble heart before the Lord this discipling people to maturity that's what we're supposed to be doing not building bigger barns now again I'm not beating up every large church there are some out there that are godly churches and there are many people that are going to these godly churches and hearing godly messages hallelujah but there are many who are not because the focus has been let's do this let's get them in let's grow it and this is all ours this is what we're doing and boom now we gotta have bigger and boom we gotta add on and big we got a big parking lot and all of these things are not what we're supposed to be focusing on We may, if you disciple people to a maturity level and they're walking with Jesus, it may leave you with a smaller barn, but you got better fruit. You got better crops. And that's what we're supposed to be focusing on is the people, growing people in Christ through the Word of God, through the Spirit of whom we've tested because He aligns Himself with the word, he glorifies Jesus, he glorifies the Father, that's who we're following. And all of these things will put us in a place to where we're walking in this relationship of which we're supposed to be walking in. And we're growing, we're becoming more like him, we're becoming more of what we're supposed to be. And I'm going to close with this one passage in Ephesians because this is Paul's prayer when he was, when he was uh, praying for the Ephesian church. In Ephesians three fourteen through 19, he said, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to have a big building and a big... No, doesn't say that, does it? Through the riches of his glory to be strengthened with his might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, and depth, and height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be able to be filled with all the fullness of God. That's our prayer for the church. I pray, I pray this prayer for us. I pray it for the church around the world. This is what we're supposed to be, to be seeking an intimacy with God, a knowing. And, and here's the wonderful news. When you are in Christ and you're listening to the true spirit and you're listening and studying the word, then he gives you these very things. It's, it's, it's the strength that he gives us according to his riches, strengthened with might through his spirit. He dwells in our hearts. We're rooted and grounded in love. This goes hand in hand with the whole message John has given us. Love one another. We're rooted in love. We may be able to comprehend or discern with all the saints, the saints who love Jesus, the saints who are in relationship. We should be able to go anywhere in the world and have a connection with the true believer. It shouldn't be about a denomination. It shouldn't be about this, oh, well, we don't do that, so you can't come over here. It's all about our relationship with Jesus. Are we grounded in him, led by the Spirit, uh, in the Word of God? If all of this is true, then we have relationship one with another. So with all of the saints, 
We're to gain the width, the length, the depth, and the height. The fullness of God. That's what he wants us to have. Not just a passive, yeah, I know God. I know of God. Yeah, I pray to prayer. Yeah, I go to this big church. Yeah, I do this. Yeah, I do that. Okay, wonderful. Do you have this intimacy? Do you have this relationship? Do you know the width, the length, the depth, and height? Do you understand how much God wants to pour into you to understand more about who he is? This is what God has for us. So we've got to stay focused. We've got to be alert because there are many spirits in the world that are going to try to keep us from understanding the width, the depth, the length, and the height. He's not, these spirits are going to pull us away from the truth, not bring us into the truth. So discernment is very important. And this love, this is another key fact here, which passes knowledge. You can know a whole lot about the Bible. You could have read it hundreds of times. You could have memorized scripture for the sake of memorization. So when somebody comes up, you can quote off a whole passage of scripture and say, see, I know the word. And I know people like that. I have a former boss that could quote passage and passage after passage of scripture. He has no relationship with Jesus Christ. None. But the point I'm making here is that knowledge for knowledge's sake means nothing. All you're really doing to gain knowledge about God but not have a relationship with him is you're building a case against yourself. Because the word itself will be your judge. So when you stand before Jesus, try quoting all that. (laughs) He'll stop you pretty quick. Yeah, I know I wrote it. But you never believed it. You just memorized it. You have knowledge, but you have no wisdom. You have no discernment. You don't even know what you're quoting about. You're just bragging that you can quote and memorize Scripture. Scripture memorization is a gift for those who can do it. I have trouble with it. I do. I cannot pull up an address for a a certain Scripture out of my head for nothing. But I may have the Scripture, and that's all I really need. The Word says, and you quote the Scripture, I can't remember exactly where that was. Was that in Hebrews? Was that in Timothy? Where was that? But we have such easy access to find it now and this is the thing to me and for me my weaknesses are a gifting from God because I don't necessarily remember every particular passage and I do have to search for it he brings me to other passages that are all in confirmation with the one I'm looking for and it just feeds more and it feeds more and to me, that's why it's fresh. I, I will tell you this. I've only repeated a message given on a Sunday morning two, maybe three other times, and they weren't here. I spoke at another church a couple of times, and the Lord gave me a message that I was able to reuse for that particular point, for that particular day, and God used that powerfully. But we're about done going through the New Testament. I don't know if y'all know that or not, but since we started, we've covered every book except when we get done here, I think it's going to be the the two Gospels, Mark and Luke, are the only two that we haven't covered. And we've gone through John, uh, Matthew, we've gone through John. So we've covered Acts all the way through now, Revelation, when we finish up First John, Second John, Third John, Fifth John, 18th John. When we get through all of them, We're going to probably start something trash. Now, we'll be doing, maybe introducing some short 
Old Testament books on Sunday. They're not as easy to preach on on a Sunday morning, but, you know, we'll go wherever the Spirit leads is what we're going to do. But what I'm saying here, and the reason I brought that up, is that if I go into a book we've already done, I'm not going back to my old notes. I'm not reviewing what I taught 10 years ago. And the reason why is I want it to be fresh, what God wants to give me today for myself is I'm studying it, and for you is I'm preaching it. I don't want it to be rehashed. And I've known pastors who have bookshelves and bookshelves of passage. They just go back and pull old sermons that they haven't done in a while and put it back out there. Spirit's leading you to do it. Hallelujah. I do have them documented, but I'm not going back and reviewing them. And again, there's a purpose for me in that. It's not about performance. It's not about going back and perfecting what I did once and adding something to it. It's about taking what the Word of God is true and real and what is He teaching me on this today. And it may be completely a different point or focus on that same passage the next time we go through it, which is the way it should be. The Word is living. It's not stale. It's not something you have to go back and just put whatever you've given before. Let's give me something new, Lord. I want a freshness of the Spirit in your word today and that's why you can never just read the bible once and say well i read it i'm done allow the spirit to teach and to grow that's what it's all about so father we